What a blessing to be in the house of God this morning, isn't it? I tell you what, if your soul didn't get something out of worship this morning, you might need to check your heart. Because I am grateful this morning that we worship a king who came running after me. Because if he had not run after me, I would not have run toward him. And so I just praise the Lord that his goodness was running after me this morning. So let's pray. And then we'll get started uh, in the Word of God. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given us. It is your Spirit, Lord God, that opened our eyes to see and behold the treasure of your kingdom. It is your Spirit that drew us to yourself. It is your Spirit that uh, caused us to be born again. That's what your Word says. And so, Father, we are grateful to God this morning that we have been saved by grace through faith, that it's not of ourselves, it is truly a gift from you. As we look at your word this morning, I pray we would see the priceless gift you've given us. Father, I don't think it's too much to ask that if someone in this room right now has never received the priceless treasure of the kingdom They've never seen and beheld the beauty of what you have provided for us through Christ Jesus. I ask in Jesus' name that today would be the day of their salvation. Father God, there may be just someone in this room right now who's been running away from you. You've been running after them. Father God, I pray they would, today would be the day they'd look back and see that in all their running, you're still there. Accomplish your purpose through your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So the first time I stepped on the campus at East Carolina University, it was not as a student. It was as a, it was as a guest of a friend of mine. And as he was walking me around to all the different dorm rooms and introducing me to his friends, I saw this poster on the wall. And you can tell this poster is a little bit dated because the supercars in that picture, by today's standard, are not really that super. Except for me, the one in the middle, the bright wet red one you see up there. Anybody know what type of car that is? That's a Lamborghini. That's a Lamborghini Countach. And let me tell you, I loved that car with an unholy affection when I was younger. I wanted that car. I watched movies about that car. I drew pictures of myself standing beside that car. I wanted that car. And so when I walked in this dorm room and saw four years of college and all I got was it made a huge impression on me. I mean, it did. Life for me at that time really was a mess. Me and my family had just gone through um, a long season of struggle. Still had some struggle left to go. And so when I walked in, this looked up to me. I looked up and uh, saw this poster. And to me, it almost felt like a, like a pipe dream, like it was never going to happen. Because life for me up to that point was just one hardship after another. You see, my dad, who was a faithful pastor, had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and guys, in the previous years, my family had been on the verge of losing everything. So you can imagine why, when I first saw this poster, it made a huge impression on me. 
See, the only thing that maybe could compete with that red Ferrari in my mind at that time might have been the Ferrari that Magnum P.I. drove. Remember that? Or maybe the General Lee. Okay, if you grew up matching the General Lee with the Matchbox cars like I did, then you know uh, what's going on. And yes, I know we probably just got kicked off Facebook because I mentioned General Lee, but that's okay. Um, I loved those three cars, but especially that red Lamborghini. See, that poster represented the dream life for me. Like if I could have dreamed up the perfect life in my mind at that time, it would have been that stuff. And boy, have things changed since, you know, 1994 when I saw this poster. Now, four years of college, all you get is about, according to Google, about, excuse me, about $30,000 in debt. So, but 55% of all high school, high school graduates will graduate with right at 30000 in debt. Why? Because they're chasing the dream. They're chasing the dream of collecting all of these things that when you look at what does the dream life look like for so many people, it looks like this. But when you think about the dream life, What do you think about? If you could lay your life out perfectly, do you does your heart go toward material things? Or does your heart go to something else? Some of our graduates this morning will be taking their first steps of independence, while others in the room have been walking on their own for a while. Some of you in the room are getting ready to start your career, you're getting ready to have that first job on your own while others in the room are enjoying their retirement. See, I know when I was 18, my desire then was to live without worrying where the money I needed to live would come from. And so then I became focused on building my own life, my own kingdom, where I didn't have to think about where the money would come from. Jesus may have had played a central role in my life, I mean, played a role in my life, but it was not a central role. And here's what I didn't realize then. Is that I was treating Jesus really like a packet of Kool-Aid. Now, you know what Kool-Aid is used for, right? You take plain old water, add a packet of Kool-Aid, and then you add a cup of sugar. And wowza! Woo! Takes regular old water, puts a little spunk to it, puts a little flavor to it. And that's what I thought Jesus was in my life back then. I thought Jesus was just a packet of Kool-Aid to open up, pour into my life, and make my life better. Jesus isn't Kool-Aid. You don't just add Jesus to your life. You see, living water doesn't need a flavor enhancer. You see, what I didn't understand then, and what I understand now, is that authentic Christianity... It's when Jesus isn't just a part of your life, he's the king of your life. Authentic Christianity is when your hopes, your dreams, your purpose in living is centered all on Jesus. It's not just centered on Jesus on Sundays. No, every part of your life is centered all on Jesus. Authentic Christianity is when your defining purpose in life is to build the kingdom of God, not your own kingdom. 
See, when you are truly a follower of Jesus, every decision you make flows from your desire to participate in his kingdom. The school you go to, the degree you get, the career path you follow, where you choose to live, what church you decide to invest in, the choice to get married, the person you choose to marry. Do you have kids? When do you have them? Do you adopt? Do you foster? How much income do you spend? How much do you save? How much do you invest? How do you spend your extra time? See, for someone who is truly a Christian, these decisions are not something you just do for yourself and then ask Jesus to bless them. For the follower of Jesus, these decisions and others like them are made after seeking the wisdom and direction of God. And guys, we must seek the Lord. Because if we don't seek the Lord... We're going to want to invest our time, our talents, and our treasures in places that would bring destruction into our life. But when we do seek the Lord, we lead, He leads us to invest our time, our talents, our treasure in places and things. And the world looks at us and says, what are you doing? That's so crazy. Don't you know there's a dream life to be had out there? A dream full of stuff, a dream full of things, a dream full of success according to the world standards. And then Jesus comes and gives us this par- these parables, beginning in Matthew uh, 13, verse 44. And Jesus tells us something about life here. He tells us that if we're going to live a life of an authentic Christian, we must first see the value of the kingdom of God. Can you imagine being in the place of this man walking through a field one day? Some scholars say he could have been working. He could have been just walking through a stranger's field. And the uh, language of this passage makes you think that he stumbled upon this treasure. He wasn't seeking it. He just found it. This man can be compared to those who are far from God. They have no real interest in spiritual things, yet God in His goodness opens their eyes and gives them the ability to see the kingdom, to see the treasure that the kingdom is. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Our ability to see the kingdom and discern its value is the regenerate work of the Holy Spirit within us. Can you imagine being the man having... A good life, some things, and stumbling upon something that changes his life forever. And you know what the parable says? He sees the value of the treasure. And what does he do? He goes and sells everything he owns. Everything he owns so he can buy the field. He can't afford the treasure. Nope. He can't afford the field. If it costs him everything, he can afford the field. So what does he do? He makes an investment in the field so he can gain the treasure. The merchant that we see in verse 45 and 46 was seeking his treasure. This man was in the pearl business. He thought he knew exactly what he was looking for. But you know what? What he found was so much greater than what he thought he could find. See, the merchant can be likened to those who are closer to the kingdom. 
They may have a concept of who God is. They could have been born into a religious family. They may even go to church on a regular basis. But this person needs the same thing as the one who is far from God. They need their eyes to be open to see the true value of the kingdom. They may be looking for something of some value. But they cannot see that the kingdom of God is of priceless value that is worth a complete surrender. Which brings us to the next truth. Authentic Christians joyfully surrender their life to the king. Notice there in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found covered up then in his joy. In his joy, he goes and sells out of everything that he has. It is with joy he gives it all away. And he gives it all away because born-again eyes not only see the treasure, born-again eyes see the value of the treasure. And when you see the value of the treasure, you willingly, willingly, with joy, trade Something that doesn't have as much value for something that has ultimate value. See, we often lack joy in our surrender because we miss the value of the kingdom. Let's say one day you're walking, um, you're, uh, walking down the driveway of your home and you look down and you see a rock and you pick it up and it looks kind of nice, it's kind of pretty, so you put it in your pocket. Imagine the next day you get a phone call and, say, and a man says, look, I'm going to be at your door at 3 p.m. today, um, and I have a trade for you. You say, okay, you want a trade? Well, come on over to the house. So 3 p.m., the man rings the doorbell, you open the door, and in his hand is the most beautiful, clear, perfect diamond you could ever imagine in his hand. And he's holding it, and he looks at you and says, you know that rock you found in the driveway yesterday? If you're like me, your first question would be like, how'd you know I found a rock in the driveway yesterday? But imagine him saying, you know that rock you found in the driveway? I know it's pretty, but would you trade me that rock for this diamond? Anybody up for that trade? Anybody want to make that trade with some joy? (laughs) Anybody in the room be excited for that trade? You better believe you'd be excited for that trade because you see this ultimate value of the diamond compared to just a rock. But yet here we are in our lives and trading our pebbles seems so difficult because we don't understand the treasure that the kingdom of God brings to our lives. And so we have to ask the question this morning, what then is that treasure? The Bible tells us this treasure is credited to us. It's something we can never earn. It's something that costs us everything, but it's not for sale. Without it, we can never enjoy being in the kingdom of God. So tell me, William, what is the treasure? You know what the treasure is? The treasure is the righteousness of God. The treasure is the fact that God took guilty people and made them innocent. Look back at verse 47 through 52. We know this parable is connected to the previous because of the first word there in verse 47. Jesus says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. And Jesus then says in verse 49, So it's going to be at the end of the age. I'm going to collect 
the righteous in one group and the unrighteous in the other. The righteousness will be welcomed into the kingdom. The unrighteous will be cast away into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we look at it and we say, what is the treasure? The treasure has to be the righteousness of God because without it, no one sees God. Without the righteousness of God, no one could ever be in His presence. The Bible teaches us that righteousness is not a standing one earns. Righteousness is instead a declaration of innocence from God that is credited to us by faith. The Bible tells us Abraham believed God and God credited his faith as righteousness. And so being justified, declared righteous by faith in, we have peace with God. And we have this peace because we are not just forgiven. We are actually declared by God to be not guilty. Let those two words sink into your mind real quick. Not guilty. Not guilty. Have you ever thought about the fact you can you cannot earn innocence? Serving a prison term doesn't make one innocent. They're still guilty. Yes, they paid their debt to society. But let me tell you something. Once you pay that debt to this, your society, guess what you carry with you for the rest of your life? You carry with you a record. A record that says you were found guilty and you ser- served your sentence. But guess what? You were still guilty. And what makes this treasure worth so much for us is that King Jesus did not demand a prison sentence to pay for our sin. See, the king says that sin is a capital offense. Rebellion against the king results in death. And that death is justifiable because he's the king. He's the one who's made the rules. He's the one who said, do this and you will die. And in our flesh, what do we do? We are constantly doing those things that Jesus tells us in his word not to do. And if it were... Up to his law alone, we would stand before him condemned and not and guilty. We are condemned. We are guilty before a holy and righteous God. The Bible tells us, though, that we are saved by grace through faith. And this salvation is by grace because the king did not condemn the rebels. Instead, he chose to save them. Can you imagine having someone rebelling against you, setting their life against you? Can you imagine that person doing everything that they possibly can to end your rule and reign and you look at them eyeball to eyeball and say, I'm going to die so that you don't have to. That's exactly what King Jesus did. King Jesus has come. He's taken our sentence of death. He has made his innocence available to us to receive by faith. And friend, let me tell you, that is good news. And the the news gets so much better. Not only did our king die for us, he stepped out of the grave three days later so that we could then walk in the newness of life. Amen? Do you know what it means to walk in the newness of life? It means just as Jesus walked, we walked. Can you not fall for this misunderstanding of Scripture that says, as soon as I'm saved, 
by grace through faith, I'm good. I don't ever have to worry about doing another good thing. Friend, let me tell you, you are saved by grace through faith so that you can do things that are actually good. Amen? So many times in our lives we think we're trying to earn God's favor instead of living from the position of God's favor. We are saved by grace because God has made undeserving, guilty people innocent. You're innocent. Not guilty. Thing you did last week, not guilty. Thing you did two weeks ago, not guilty. God looks at you and your righteous standing before God. He looks at you. Hear me in this, because this is what the Bible teaches. The righteousness of God has been credited to us by faith. And so then God looks at us and it is though we had never sinned. And let me tell you, church, that should excite some joy in your own heart. Then let me tell you, church, that you should say, I deserve condemnation. I deserve to be cast away. I deserve to be like the bad fish. But guess what God has done for me? God, in his goodness toward us, has secured his righteousness for us through the death and resurrection of his son. He's made undeserving people innocent. You feel the joy in that? Do you sense that relief? The condemnation that you deserve was placed on the king so that you could have life. Now you have life because you now live in God's declaration of your innocence. I can't imagine better news. I can't imagine something more valuable than innocent. I mean, guilty people being made innocent. I can't think of anything more valuable than innocent people righteous people living in this new life that King Jesus has provided for them. Friend, that is exactly why when one finds the priceless treasure of the kingdom, they gladly surrender all. They come and they say, take it all, Lord Jesus. You can have it. Because the value of being called your son is more important to me than to follow the ways of the world. See, we live in the kingdom with joy because our sin-stained lives have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Oh, friend, would you please be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Because without that soul-cleansing blood, you stand before God stained and condemned in danger of the furnace that burns for all eternity. And so it is with joy we bring to King Jesus all our goals, dreams, purposes in life. It is with joy that we trust him to orchestrate the details of our life. We surrender control to our gracious king. And the Bible says he then works this mess of a life out for our good. See, that's why Jesus can't be Kool-Aid. He can't just be added to your life. There's nothing that satisfies our soul like the living water of our king. So let's move on to our third truth. We've seen that those who see the value of the kingdom joyfully surrender all to the king to obtain it. And number three, they rest securely on the kingdom. And you might be saying, oh, that's the wrong preposition there. You mean in the kingdom? No, I mean on 
the kingdom. See, when you look at rest in the dictionary, the primary definition of rest means to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. The second definition for rest, this is the reason why I say rest securely on the kingdom, means to be placed or supported so as to stay in a specified position. You rest on the kingdom. Look at verse 51. Jesus looks at his disciples and said, Have you understood all these things? And they said, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out, brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. A scribe in these verses is the one who rests so securely on the kingdom that they risk their lives in this world in order to share with others the glory of King Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, guys, do you understand this? Because he knows that they are going to be the scribes that Jesus is talking about. They are the true teachers. They are the true prophets. They are the ones who desire to make disciples of all, na- of all nations. You see, once you surrender your life to the king, you get the joy of sharing with others the glory of the king. You are the scribe that Jesus is talking about. This is not you. Listen to Matthew verse 20, chapter 23, verses 29 through 36. He looks at the false scribes, the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate, decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, he would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? By the way, Jesus talking. Therefore I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that you may, um, so that on you may come All the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus looks at the legalist of his age and says, you think you can earn favor before God? You think that if you teach people that your your pathway to God is to do good things, let me tell you what you really are. You are a serpent. You are a brood of vipers. You are the ones that I will send to hell. And so what Jesus said that they would do in their generation, they did. He said you would kill the true scribes. You would try to silence the word of God by killing the messengers of God. And what Jesus said did come true. Stephen is a great example. You turn over to Acts 7, you see that. Stephen in Acts 7 begins preaching the gospel. And what does he do? He begins with the old and brings out the new. He begins with Abraham and wraps it all up in Christ. And what did those vipers, vipers, those blind gods do? They killed him for it. And Stephen, resting securely in the kingdom, preached without fear the gospel and it cost him his life. 
there's someone at work tomorrow that needs to hear the gospel. And you haven't told them about the gospel because you've been worried about being canceled. You've been worried about losing your job. You've been worried about losing your wealth. You've been worried about losing your livelihood. And can I tell you, once you see the value of the kingdom of God, surrender it all to the king, you can be rest securely that when the Lord leads you to share, you can share. And it may cost you everything. But everything is nothing compared to this. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I'm not sure we can see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, church, unless we see the kingdom. Joyfully surrender it all to the King and then rest securely in the life that God has given us. So we close with a few questions this morning. Is your purpose in life to show and share the glory of the King? Is it with joy that you come to Him with your hopes and your dreams? Have you seen this priceless treasure of the kingdom? Have you surrendered all and obtained it? Graduates. Graduates. Don't be like previous generations. They held so tightly to this world that they missed the glory of the world to come. They've held so tightly to their religious observance. They've held so tightly to their church attendance. They've held so tightly to their self-righteousness that they've missed the glory. Graduates, don't miss the glory. Don't do like the generations have done before you. Compromised. Given up. Refuse to risk it all. Refuse to rest secure, securely. Don't trade in the glory of the king for wealth that fades. I beg you not to do that because when I was your age, I can remember bowing the knee to God and praying to him. And it was the most ungodly prayer you could ever pray. And I was about your age. I was about 18 when this happened. And I remember bowing my knee down at the altar at a church service and looking at God and saying, I'm tired of living life your way. I'm just done with it. All it has given me is pain. All it has given me is hardship. I have watched my dad preach and preach and preach and all he has experienced is pain. And at that time, as an 18-year-old, I looked in, at God and said, I'm done with you. And walked away. And I stepped into the darkest season of my life. And I thought I was done with the Lord. 
Praise God, he wasn't done with me. He wasn't done with me. His goodness was running after me. And no matter how far I ran away from him, he and his Holy Spirit were there working to pull me back in. In the meantime, though, I experienced so much darkness, so much pain. I dishonored the king so much. So, graduates, can I say, don't walk away. You're going to look at what this world has to offer, and you're going to say, I want the red Lamborghini. <laughs> might not be in the picture of a red Lamborghini. It might be, I want a certain type of house, or I want a certain type of job, I want a certain type of income, because I want to experience the American dream. And can I tell you, the American dream is nothing compared to the glory of King Jesus. So see the, volume of the, see the value of the kingdom. Surrender it all to the king. And rest securely in him. In a moment here we're going to sing. If you're in the room this morning. And you haven't surrendered all to King Jesus. Can I beg you please right now. Choose this day whom you will serve. I'll be down front. Man, if, if we had three or four of you come up, we'll have other people from the church just come up and say, hey, let's talk to you about Jesus. Let's secure the kingdom for you today. And we will talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to go from being guilty to being innocent. If you've not surrendered all to the king, now would be a great time to hand it over to him. Can I tell you, some of you in the room may have just wandered away. Some of you may have just said, you know what, I've gotten wrapped up in my life and looking at how horrible the world is. And my focus has changed from the values of the kingdom to the values of this world. And I just need to have that repentant life that Pastor Brandon has been talking about. And I just need to repent, believe the gospel afresh, and not be saved again but to re have your joy restored in your salvation. Again, now would be a great time to hand it all over to him. If you would, let's pray. I wish I had the ability to just walk up to individuals in this room and look them right square in the eye. And ask them this song we're getting ready to sing. Have you surrendered all? I wish I could peer into the hearts and so I could beg and plead. Come to Jesus. He's worth so much more than you could ever give. But Father, I can't do that. But your Holy Spirit can. So as your Holy Spirit works across this room, Lord Jesus... I pray that it would accomplish its purposes. That it would do the very thing that I can't do. That it would regenerate hearts, open minds, open ears, open eyes to receive with joy the kingdom of God. We're going to sing I Surrender All. If you've not surrendered all to the king, again, a great time to do that would be right now. So I beg you, surrender all to the king. Let's stand.
Thank you. You may be seated. Here's how we're going to recognize our graduates this morning. Pastor Brandon is going to come, and we have a gift for both our college graduates and our high school graduates. And um, so just want to say congratulations. It's been a journey. Whether you're graduating from college or high school, this is just the next step in your life toward surrendering all to King Jesus. And so we have two grad, We have two. Um, that we're recognizing for graduating from college this year. Uh, the first one is Catherine Edwards. She could not be with us this morning, but she is graduating from Meredith College, summa cum laude, Bachelor of Arts with Psychology, Religious and Ethical Studies with her minor in History. I'm not even smart enough to read that. Um, her future plans 
will, uh, she's praying that as she attends Duke University's Divinity School, um, to, she hopes to gain a Master of Theological Studies there. Uh, Catherine's prayer request, Catherine asks us to pray that God would provide Christian professors who are strong in their faith to, men, to mentor Catherine in this journey. She would also appreciate prayer that God would provide a theologically sound body of believers that she can have fellowship and friendship with at Duke University. We'll be praying that for Catherine for sure. Our next college uh, graduate is Gabrielle Grace Stewart. Gabby, if you would come up. Um, and by the way, when the college uh, graduate comes up, we're going to ask the family to join them a little later. Uh, so if you'll just stand up front, uh, Gabby is graduating from Meredith College, magna cum laude, with a Bachelor's of Health, Exercise, and Sports Science. Gabby is getting married uh, June 17th, and she's trusting the Lord with the rest. Her prayer request is that Gabby asks that we pray that the Lord would give her wisdom and lead her in a direction where she can be a constant light for him with her career. Amen. Now we talked, we're, we're going to invite our high school graduates up. And I'm telling you, the youth rooms, I say this every year, right? The youth room is going to be different once these graduates kind of step on, right? And step out of the youth room, go on to great things, right? Um, I was re looking at these graduates, I was reminded of Galatians 5, through 23, that says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then the word says against these things there's no law. And so each one of these graduates has shown me a fruit of the Spirit in the five years that I've been their youth pastor. It's crazy it's been that long. long. So the first one that I'd like to call up is Mary Claire Dees. Through the Spirit, I've seen in Mary Clara's life is love. She has been the includer of the group. She's the one who goes and finds the one that no one seems to be talking to and talks to them. Um, what I love about Mary Clara, she always makes me smile. She just does. And she makes me smile because the Holy Spirit was so alive in her life that she just loves everyone. She's graduating from Clifton Road Classical Academy. Her future plans um, are to attend Liberty University to earn a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. And that Mary Clara asked that we pray um, for her, that she, in the seen and unseen areas of her life, she would remain faithful to the Lord. Mary Clara D. So you can clap if you want. Especially for Mary Clara. I should have done that for Gabby, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Our next graduate we're going to recognize this morning is Carly Grace Hutkins. The fruit of the Spirit that I see most in um, Carly is the Spirit of Peace. I can't say this about any other student in the student ministry. Sorry, guys. Okay? But I have been around Carly for five years, and I cannot remember one time that Carly said anything negative about anyone, complained about anything. I just don't have that. I've never seen that. I'm about the rest of them. Yes, I might think of a time, right? But you, Carly, you just have the spirit of peace about you. 
And that is proof of the Spirit of God living in you. And so Carly's prayer request is she asked that we um, pray. She would know and follow God's plan for her future. And I believe we can say amen to that. Carly Grace. Our next graduate um, that we're going to recognize this morning is Jonah Michael Lyles. He's graduating from Faith Christian School. Uh, his future plans is Jonah will be entering the workforce. And when I've thought about Jonah, the fruit of the Spirit that came to mind was patience. Now, mom or dad, I don't know if you see patience at home, but I've seen patience in the youth room time and time and time again. I joked around with Jonah this morning and told him, I don't think I've ever seen you in a hurry to do much of anything. <laughs> and can I tell you, in a world that seems to go faster and faster and faster and faster, the ability to slow down and enjoy life, the ability to have patience is a much-needed attribute. His prayer request is that we um, pray for him to hear and obey God's uh, guidance so that he will go where God wants him. Next graduate is Emma Cadence Davis. Graduating from Jackson Davis Academy, her future plans, Emma will attend Barton College to major in criminology. And when I think of Emma, and if you know Emma, this is true of her, through the spirit I see most evident in her life is kindness. Emma has such a sweet, sensitive spirit that she just seems to and love everyone she comes in contact with and she carries this kindness about her that is rare in a culture um, that is just rare in this culture right I've seen God do so much in Emma's life over the past few years I just glory in him and all that he's accomplished and what he's going to accomplish through her Emma's prayer request is that she asks that we pray that she will make godly Christian friends at Barton and be able to adjust to living on campus. And I have confidence God's going to answer that uh, prayer request. Emma Cadence Davis. I love all these students. This is going to be the hardest for me to get through. Um, that's Samuel Hayden, future wife. I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. <laughs> Sam is uh, graduating from Faith Christian School. His future plans are that Sam will attend Nash Community College to study automotive technology. And if you know Sam, you've gotten a hope from Sam. And so when I think of Sam, I think goodness. Because he's... There's nothing more comforting than a hug. And as his dad, I love the fact that he hugs everyone. Even his male friends, which took a little time for me to get used to. Watching your son just walk up and hug another dude. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but you know why he hugs them? Because he has a good heart. And he wasn't born with that. God gave that to him. And so I just love Samuel Hayden Future. His prayer request is that um, Sam asks that we pray he will continue to mature in Christ as he takes these next steps in life. Samuel Hayden.
All right, graduates, I'd like for you to spread out. Spread out. Oh, oh no, we're not going to spread out. Holy cow. How could I forget Sophie Grace Brockwell? Sam's going to make me pay for that later, by the way. Sophie is on the back of my sheet. Sorry, Sophie. Forgive me. Okay, good. That smile that you're showing me right now is proof of the fruit uh, of the Spirit that I see most in you, which is joy. See, you're happy, you're smiling all the time. And so she's graduating from Trinity Christian Academy with future plans um, to taking classes at Nash Community College to pursue nursing. And she asked that we pray that she would continue to grow as a Christian and as a person in the upcoming phase of life. Thank you for forgiving me. Let's spread out. Let's spread out. All right, now what I'm going to ask is friends and friends and family come up and surround your graduate. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and thank you for the word that we heard today, and thank you for allowing us to be here together with brothers and sisters in Christ, and God, thank you for every single one of these graduates. God, thank you that they embody uh, the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray for all of them that they would, uh, that they would abide in Christ. God, that they would set the Lord before them. That when everything in their life shakes, that they, uh, they wouldn't be shaken because Jesus is at their right hand. God, I pray your blessing on, on all of them as they either are going on to pursue another degree or entering into the workforce uh, or going to, to get their first college degree or uh, getting married. God, I pray that, that whatever chapter of their life is next, God, that you would sustain them, you would be with them, and you would see them through uh, this life and then to the next. We love you. Thank you that we love you, and we love because you loved us first. Thank you for Jesus, for the life he lived in our place, the death he died in our place on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that on the third day he was raised back to life and he has ascended to your right hand where he rules and reigns over all things. I pray that these graduates would give their life to that king. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.